Hello and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, Journey Church. How are we doing this morning? Good. Well, welcome uh, to The Journey for those of you joining us here uh, in the theater as well as those of you joining us online. Uh, my name is Bobby. I am one of the pastors here at The Journey Church, and uh, I'm excited that you're here today. Last week, if you joined us, uh, we were joined by Pastor Anthony and, and our very own Rob Wright uh, as they fielded some amazing questions that you guys had about faith and life uh, and did an incredible job uh, with that. And today, we are going to jump back into our series, The Beginning, on the early church and take a look uh, at kind of where we are in that story through the book of Acts. Uh, and before we get started on that, uh, I wanted to kind of open uh, uh, what we're talking about today and the point we're at in Acts kind of reminded me uh, a little of me and my wife. Uh, we have been married uh, almost two years now, and so we're still in that beginning stages of marriage and starting to get a rhythm down of life together. And I noticed when we first got married, uh, when she would get stressed out, I would get extra stressed out. There was there was a lot of stress. Anybody else like that? Husbands in here, you're like, well, my wife gets stressed out. I'm just trying to fix it. I'm trying to alleviate that. And I noticed that every time she would get stressed out, I would try and step in. I would try and take something off her plate or give her advice or, you know, help her with her stress, however I could. And over time, I realized very quickly <laughs> that this only stressed her out more. This increased the amount of stress that she had. And so we had some good discussion about that. But as I stopped to really think about what that dynamic was, why was it? Yes, I love my wife and I'm wanting to help her through the things that she's going through that are tra challenging her and stressing her out. But what I realized is that underneath that, I was trying to help her to alleviate my stress. That really what I was trying to do was change her and the way she was operating. I think at one point I even told her, can you change your reaction? Like something obscene, stupid like that. And I, just to alleviate the pressure on myself. And what I really missed, the point of this, is that God was doing something in her through what she was being stressed out with that had nothing to do with me. She was experiencing stress or anxiety or whatever she was experiencing in her life, and that was what God was working through with her. And what he was doing with me was what I couldn't see because I was so focused on her. And I think so often we find that we are so focused on other people and we're so focused on how their lives are going and how it's making us feel that sometimes we really lose sight and we forget to take a look at what God is really doing in us through that stress. You see, each person between me and my wife was experiencing something with God that although we could help the other with, had nothing to do with the other. And, and often when we experience challenges like this and we experience tension with other people, often we try and change them because we're trying to alleviate the pressure instead of dealing with it on our own. And this is actually something that the early church dealt with as well. The early church 
uh, when it was first coming about, there was this conflict between the Jewish believers, those who believed in Jesus, but also held to their Jewish practices, and those who were coming into the faith as new believers who had never practiced Judaism. And so the Jews at that time had had a, a book of laws. There was over 600 laws that in their thousands of years history, they were following, that they were expected to follow, that they tried to follow. And you see, often what they missed was what the law was originally intended to do, that Paul later on explains that the law was intended to show us how far we are naturally from God, that sin in our lives has taken us so far from the presence of God that we cannot live up to this law. And so the Jews spent their entire existence, the differences between things that were clean and unclean and religious ceremonious holidays and, and, and times that they can eat, things that they could eat, there were all these different laws that they were trying to live by. And then when Jesus came, they missed the point that Jesus fulfilled the law, that there was no longer a need for them to be right by God by living out all of these details of the law, but they missed this. And there was this big debate as these newer Christians were coming in and they were trying to uh, put those practices on these newer Christians and saying, you still have to follow all of these things even if you believe in Jesus. And so we see a story in Acts chapter 10 where Peter uh, is in a house. Uh, it's between Peter and this centurion named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And the chapter opens up where this, this centurion, who is from Caesarea, and he's part of the Italian cohort is what scripture tells us. So essentially telling us he is not Jewish. He is not part of the Jewish faith. He would be considered at that time uh, a Gentile, somebody who is outside of that faith. And in that time before Jesus, the Jews weren't allowed to associate with those who weren't of faith, with Gentiles. They couldn't stay in their house. They couldn't have them in their house. There were all these strict regulations for this. And so in this story, this centurion comes up. The scripture tells us he is very God-fearing. He is always giving his alms and his prayers. He is very religious. And, and he has this vision, and an angel of the Lord comes to him and essentially tells him, you have to send men to go get Peter in Joppa. And he's going to come, and he's going to tell you something. And now this centurion, who is very, uh, again, it mentions he's a God-fearing man, does just this. He's also a military man, so he knows what it is to receive an order, to send an order. So he sends men to get Peter. And the story pauses at that point and then picks up with where Peter is. And this is Acts chapter 10, verse 9. It says, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, which is about 3 p.m., to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And they came, let, let me pause there. So reptiles, birds of the air, uh, there were certain animals, as we talked about in Jewish customs, that they could not eat, right? There were a long list of animals that they could eat and couldn't eat. And so some of these, the point, are those that were considered ceremoniously unclean. So verse 14, uh, sorry, verse 13 
And there came a voice to him, to Peter, that said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to a, a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So we have the story, Peter having this vision of his own. And, and mind you, if you remember Peter's story, he had denied Jesus three times. And then later when Jesus reappeared to him, Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? He gave him three chances to redeem this mistake he had made of denying Jesus. And so we see a theme here with this vision coming to him three times, but Peter saying, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. No, I've never eaten anything. So he's very steadfast in his pursuit of Judaism in, as well as pursuing Jesus at this point. You see, Paul takes this side. We see this debate. Paul often, or Paul came to the point of taking this side in most of his letters where he would explain to his churches uh, the point of the law, right? Romans talks a lot about this where he's explaining the law was meant to show us our sin, not necessarily be this high level that we have to hit because it's impossible, right? Paul, has, Paul says in Romans that what the law could not do, Jesus came to do, that Jesus fulfilled the law because we could not, and, and the Jewish people at the time could not. And we see this in Romans chapter 14. He breaks this down uh, in a few different spots. It's a great chapter. Romans 14, 5, he says, one person esteems one day as better than another, talking about different holidays, while another esteems all days alike. Well, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and give thanks to God. So what Paul is essentially saying here is if you feel convicted to maintain your Jewish beliefs and your practices and things that you can't eat or do or holidays that you celebrate, keep doing that. He says, that's fine. If that is a conviction you have, keep doing that. He says, but to the one who doesn't, that's fine. And, and he goes on in 14.10. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand judgment or before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, let each of us give an account of himself to God. See, going back to this, this issue the early church was dealing with is that this, this initial group of believers was trying to bring those who hadn't practiced Judaism into this, this rigorous following the law of faith. And Paul is saying, you don't need to judge each other if you have different convictions. You don't have to bring someone and change them and force them to be different. You have to find that peace within yourself. For each of us, is held accountable to God. He goes on to talk about, but love wouldn't put stumbling blocks in the way, Romans 14, 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith 
is sin. And now this isn't necessarily, this, this could be a whole different topic on uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to, to work inside of you for that as far as uh, what is sin in that regard. And, and what Paul is essentially saying here is if what you were doing, and, and it's speaking to this group of believers, whatever you were doing or allowing, if it's not coming from faith, if you don't have full faith in that, then you stand condemned, that you are, you, you, you should not be doing that in a sense. But really, to allow each person to come to God, to wrestle through that, because he is held accountable on his own. See, Paul isn't just going after what you do in this passage. He's going after the heart. See, he's saying that you shouldn't feel guilty about what you do or believe, that you should listen to the Holy Spirit, that if there's guilt there, maybe that's the Holy Spirit nudging you in a direction. And if you feel freedom, then pass no judgment on yourself. You recognize, I have that faith. And so, again, that could be a whole different message in himself. But it kind of ties into a question that Pastor Anthony and Rob actually mentioned last week, right? One of the questions uh, was, what about if there's somebody in our church who's a Christian but is also gay, and they're professing both of those? And Anthony, Pastor Anthony's response I thought was interesting. His, his answer was, why do you care? <laughs> why does it matter? You know, take a look at, at this great debate that we've had in our country without even trying to take a stand on it. Most people have passionate feelings, even though it doesn't affect their life one way or the other. And so we're trying to change people. We're trying to change the pressure that we're feeling and alleviate that off of ourselves instead of turning inward to change ourselves through that. But it's interesting because Paul does classify what we should do as Christians. In, verse, in chapter 13, Verse 8, he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit a mur uh, adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in the word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore, Love is the fulfilling of the law. You see, Jesus has come and he has died for us because we could not hit this law, this standard of, of perfection, of holiness that, that God is at. See, God and sin cannot be in the same sphere. And so when we have sin in us, there, there was this disconnect and the Jewish people had to go through these customs and rituals to make sure they were living a holy life so that they could have a relationship with God. But when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law himself, bringing it to completion so that now we no longer have to fulfill that law, but really we have to love God and love others. And Paul says all of those commands are summed up in the love that we have for our neighbor. So back to the story in Acts, in, in Acts chapter 10. The centurion goes ahead, he sends his people to Peter, and Peter has them stay the night with him. So Peter has this vision, and, and as he comes out of it, these men are just arriving at the house he's at to ask him to come to the centurion. And the Holy Spirit tells him, go with the man. Don't hesitate. Don't make a distinction among them, but go with him. And so Peter, 
understanding and starting to make this connection with his vision about, well, this centurion, these men, they're not Jewish. They're not supposed to be in our home. I'm not supposed to go with them. But I'm recognizing this vision. God is telling me, don't call this unclean. So he invites the men into his home, which is a huge deal in itself. But he invites these men into his home, and then he goes with them to visit the centurion. And as he comes into this home, the centurion has invited all of his friends and all of his family to hear the message from this guy that this angel of the Lord told him to go get. I don't know about you, but if an angel appears to me in a vision, I'm thinking whatever it's about was pretty important. So I'm inviting everybody to. So that's kind of what this is, uh, the scene that Peter is walking into at this point. And so he asked the centurion, why do you have me here? Why did you come to bring me? The centurion explains to him the vision that he himself had. And then he says, so we're all here. We're waiting. We're, we're anxious to know what it is you are going to tell us. And so Peter starts in Acts 10, 34. It says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Catch this. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You see, at this point, Peter was under the impression that he was bringing the gospel of inclusion to a broken world. But what he didn't see is that God was bringing the gospel of inclusion to his broken ideology. You see, he was so focused on everyone else in this moment that he was bringing this message of salvation to the Gentiles, to the people that weren't of his Jewish faith. But then take a look at this passage and look at what we see Peter say. He starts out by saying, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. He's saying, now I'm getting it. Now I get that anyone who fears God is, is in good standing with him. He says is acceptable to him. He even goes on to say, you yourselves know about Jesus. He's going to bring them the gospel. He's going to bring them this message, but essentially they're already aware of it. They've already heard. And so what we think in some senses and what Peter thought was this bringing the message to the Gentiles really turns out that God was doing a work in his heart the entire time. And as he goes ahead and uh, as he's explaining this gospel, it says that as he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on this group of people. And, and, and they go ahead and ask for water and, and they're baptized. And Peter says, how can I deny them being baptized? How can I deny what God is doing here if the Holy Spirit is falling on them just as it fell on us as Jewish believers? How can I sit here and say that these people cannot connect with God? I, I can't do that anymore. His entire ideology, his entire framework was shifted and changed in this moment. And often we see that with us. See, often we think we're so focused on if that person would just 
if my boss could just do. But really what we're not seeing is that what that stress is causing in us is what God is doing in us, what he's wanting to do in us and through us. You see, God is always doing more on the surface than what we see. And why do we do this? We do this because we're trying to alleviate the pressure on ourselves instead of dealing with the pressure. And you see, the truth is God wants us to deal with pressure, not to remove it. We often want to remove the pressure from our lives, but God doesn't want us to remove it. He wants us to deal with it. He wants us to grow. He wants us to adapt. He wants us to mature. He wants us to be able, in our faith, to navigate difficult circumstances with him and to walk through them with him. And often he allows that pressure to come into our lives to give us the opportunity to then work through those things with him. And then we begin to notice we are changed and our brains are changed and our thinking is changed and our attitude is changed and our heart is changed. And that is the power of the gospel. See, the power of what Jesus did and the power of the ability we have, the Holy Spirit living within us, that we have access to the God of the universe, is that God is always actively working in our lives if we know and believe in him and if we're following him. So we can trust that all of the pressure we're facing is, is things that God is using to grow and to shape us, not to remove the pressure from our lives, which is often our prayer but to help us deal with that pressure and to grow and to change. Uh, parents often do this with kids. I, I don't want to judge. I don't have kids yet personally, but if you have kids, you know. Often it's go this way, go in the room, do something, just alleviating the pressure on yourself for a moment. And I'm not judging. That's not a bad thing to do, but we can't get so focused on that that we miss what is God trying to do in me? How is he trying to strengthen me? How can I rely on him more in this moment instead of trying to remove the pressure? The same thing I had done with Katie that I started at the beginning of this message. And going back to what we were talking about too, how about this law that we used to have that states that people of the same sex can't get married? Again, without taking a stand what is that doing but just trying to alleviate pressure on certain people? And so, really, God is wanting us to change how we're viewing our pressure. He's wanting us to change the way that we're going about it, and instead of trying to change our circumstances around us, allow them to shape and mold and strengthen us. You see, it's not bad to want to change your circumstances around you and to change the pressure that you have. If you're in a job you don't like and it's causing you stress and you're trying to get out, I'm not telling you stop doing that, that's bad. Navigate that, but don't waste the opportunity that God is giving you. You see, in, in Scripture, God tells us that our trials are opportunities for great joy. And that doesn't quite make sense all the time. But when you consider that God is using our trials and our pressure to change you, to grow you, to mature you, to allow your soul and your spirit to come to a point where it can now not only handle the pressure you're feeling, but more pressure and more things. See, God doesn't want us to solve problems. He wants us to become better problem solvers because then we can handle more. Then we can navigate better. 
famous author, Bob Goff. He's a, a current author. He was an attorney. He's, he's uh, spoken at many different conferences. He has a book called Love Does. If you haven't read it, write it down, text it to your, your spouse or your friend. Make sure you read that book. It is an incredible story about the power of love. And, and what I love about it is it kind of almost addresses this in a side way where it's not theology. It's just love. It's just stories of love and how it changes people. And Bob Goff has a quote. I don't know if it's in this book or not. But he says, how we decide to receive and react to the really hard parts of our circumstances shows us what our hearts are filled with. See, my closing encouragement to you today, church, is to not waste the stress you're in. And I know you want to remove it. I know you do. And, and I pray that God does. I pray that the stress you're going through alleviates soon. I don't want to see you through that. I don't want to be in it. But what I also don't want is for us to miss the opportunity of growth that God is providing us. To miss the opportunity, the unique opportunity of this season, of this time, of this moment that we won't get back. If you're single and you want to be married, you're never going to get the chance to learn single life again is the hope. When you're married, you're learning married life. So the stress of being single and the things that come with that are a unique opportunity for you to learn and to grow. And so I encourage you, pay attention this week to what other people do that stresses you out and how it's affecting you and what can you do with that? What is God trying to show in you through that stress and how is he trying to mature your faith through it? And then evaluate are you trying to just change all of the pressure around you? Or are you really asking God to use that to change you? Are you really using that to ask him to strengthen you, to grow you, to test that faith? Because I can promise you the other side sees so much peace and life and trust. Your faith, when it's grown and when it's mature, says James in scripture, that it lacks nothing. That sounds great. Give me lacking nothing. I, I, I want to lack nothing in my spiritual life, but we're not there right way. And so God works us to that. Well, so that's my closing encouragement for you today. And um, I want to go ahead and just pray for us as we wrap up. So would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? Father, thank you for the unique gift of trials and pressure in our lives. Father, we don't often thank you for the hard times because we're often not happy going through that, and you understand that. You created us. But God, I pray that you would help each one of us to rearrange how we think of our pressure, how we think of the challenges in our lives. Father, help us to recognize that when we can come to the point of allowing you to work in us and make us witnesses to Jesus the, the main thing you call us to do to be witnesses of the work that you're doing in our lives, in our hearts, help us to recognize that the challenges we're facing are part of that process and not something that we just have to try and push off to the side and avoid. God, I pray for us in here today. I pray for those who, who believe in you and who follow you. Would you strengthen us in faith? Would you guide us closer to your heart Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this week? Would we take intentional time to sit before you and to process what we're experiencing in our stress and our challenges? 
And for those of you, uh, I want to pray for those in here who don't believe in Jesus, who aren't followers of Jesus. God, I pray that you would use this message or, or wherever they are in their life to lead to you. Would they come to the point to see that there is life in you and that nothing else satisfies? Nothing else satisfies, but that the life we have in you is living water. Father, we are grateful. We thank you for what Jesus did on the cross for us. We thank you that he made a way. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.